If I were going to go to uh, Spangles or the Cracker Barrel, needed directions, you'd tell me, oh, that's easy. It's just right around the corner. Corner. How come everything is always just around the corner? You thought about that before? Maybe I'm the only one. All right. Uh, but like if, if people live in the country, they'll, you need directions to their house, uh, they won't tell you exactly where they live. They'll tell you the corner. It's like I live at uh, 53rd and Hillside or you know, 101st and Oliver. But when you get there, they don't actually live there. They're not anywhere near that corner. They're like a half a mile from that corner, yet they told you the corner. Maybe it's just me. I was perplexed a little bit. Uh, by this, so I took to the interwebs, because everything you read on the internet is true, and I tried to figure out what, what's the deal with around the corner, and what does around the corner, the phrase, mean. So I looked it up in the idiom dictionary, and it will tell you that it means in close proximity to another location, like when you're giving directions, but it also will tell you that around the corner means something is imminent or likely to happen. They use the example, you never know what stroke of luck lies just around the corner. Uh, If you happen to be old and single like I was, uh, I didn't meet my wife until I was almost 25, and, and, and so I was old and single, well-meaning people would would come up to me and say, oh, don't worry, love is just around the corner. I would say, oh, is it? Is love just around the corner? Which corner exactly would love be? I would like to avoid that corner at all costs. It's not always a pastor. I was sometimes antagonistic. But the reason I bring up the old phrase, just around the corner, is because I titled this message, Just Around the Corner. And I want to talk to you about something you are in close proximity to. I want to talk to you something about that could be imminent to your future. If you're a guest with us today, we're in this series called Life, Money, and Hope, and we've been exploring all three of those subjects these past couple weeks. And what does God have to say about that? Because as I've gone through this journey of life, I've just found that God's way works. Amen, somebody. It's not to say that I've had an easy life or that God, uh, God's way is easy. It's just to say that God's way does, in fact, work. So I've tried to help you with some practical things that you can do within your life, within your money and your finances, and as we'll talk about today, in your future. I, I believe you have hope in your future, regardless of where you're at. In fairness, this morning will only be applicable to you like if you've struggled with something, if you've had some stress or some anxiety, if you've had pressure, some difficulties in life, if something has been done to you that was very wrong, or if you've done something that was wrong, and, and uh, if you've ever wondered, why in the world is this happening to me? This message will be for you. If that's not you, uh, you can leave or check Facebook, whatever, whatever you need to do, but uh, I, I think... If you've ever prayed this prayer, dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. 
However, I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes. <laughs> I'm going to need a lot more help after that. <laughs> Amen, somebody. So if you've prayed that, if you've felt these things, if you've had anxiety and stress and, and some hardship in life, I believe today will help. Because here's what I believe. I believe everyone wants to have a good day, but not everybody knows how to have one, what a good day looks like, how to even create one. Even few people understand the way you live today will impact your tomorrow. Love what Jack Harbaugh says. He says, better today than yesterday, better tomorrow than today. It's good advice. I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday, but still, I'm going to be better tomorrow than I was today. So that's what I want to help you with. I think God has some things and a formula that we'll get to, which I don't know uh, what you think about math, but as far as I'm concerned, this was just another week that I haven't used algebra a single time. Thank you, high school. Right? I haven't foiled anything in 20 years, but by golly, I know how to do it. Uh, Before we get to the formula, I want you to consider this paragraph. My mom used to make her fifth grade students memorize this paragraph, and it might be helpful for each one of us to do it as well. I put it in your notes if you want to take it with you. It reads, this is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use it as I will. I can waste it or use it for good. What I do today is very important because I am exchanging a day of my life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever, leaving something in its place I have traded for it. I want it to be a gain, not a loss. Good, not evil. Success, not failure. In order that I shall not forget the price I paid for it. As a pastor, I'd encourage you to remember the price God paid for it. It cost him literally everything. First Corinthians six nineteen reminds us that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That was the, the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I want you to learn how to have a good life. I want you to know what could be right around the corner for you. So if you brought a Bible, and I hope you did, go ahead and grab it. You need to open it up to the back, a place called First Peter. If you're new to the Bible, you're a little nervous about finding First Peter. That's okay. There's a table of contents at the front of your Bible. You can find a page number there for it. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Feel free to use a device. Click to First Peter. We'll put it here on screen as well. Uh, or if you've got your sermon notes, you can follow along there too. But I want you to see that I'm not saying these things. These things are in the Word of God. So, you ready? ready. Here we go. First Peter 4. Friends. That's nice, right? I mean, that just feels good. We're all friends here. Thanks for that start, Peter. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Where's glory? just around the corner. Again, it's always around the corner. It's almost as if corners have the market cornered. Uh, You'll think about that. That'll come to you later, okay? Here's the thing. We're talking about hope and specifically why we can hope and what we can do with that hope in order to create a good day and good days lead to good weeks and good weeks lead to months and months lead to years and years are 
your life and you can very much have a good life. But it might sound weird since this just said, when life gets really difficult, as if to imply life is going to be difficult. Have you been there? Difficulties in life. See, this is what I love about the Bible. It's gritty. It doesn't hide anything. It doesn't pretend about anything. You don't have to say you have to fake anything. It flat out says life is going to be difficult. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, I've told you these things because in the world you will have trouble. So the question isn't if we have trouble. The question is when we have trouble, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond to these difficulties in life because trouble and hardship is coming? In the book, Good to Great, author Jim Collins recounts the story of an admiral named Jim Stockdale who was a prisoner of war during Vietnam. He was tortured and imprisoned from 1965 to 1973. Let that sink in. Eight years. No prisoner's rights. No three squares a day. No set release date. No certainty that he would survive or even see his family again. No cable, TV, None of those things. And Collins asks Stockdale the same question you or I would ask, which is how did you deal with your circumstances for 2,920 days, over 70,000 hours, without knowing the end of the story? How'd you do it? Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, listen to this, I would not trade. Eight years of his life that he would not trade. Think about that. Collins then writes, I didn't say anything for many minutes. Neither would I. As we continued the slow walk toward the faculty offices, Stockdale limping and swinging his stiff leg that had never fully recovered from repeated torture. Finally, I asked him, who didn't make it out? Stockdale says, oh, that's easy. The optimists. Collins writes, the optimists? I don't understand. I'm completely confused given what he had just said. Sure, the optimists, they're the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. They'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, then Easter would come and go. Well, then Thanksgiving, and then Thanksgiving would come and go, and then it would be Christmas again, and they'd die of a broken heart. He turned to me and said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Collins concludes this story with, to this day I carry a mental image of Stockdale admonishing the optimists, we're not getting out by Christmas, deal with it. Wow. Seems a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? You can't lose faith, but you can't be an optimist. This is known as the Stockdale paradox for those of you who have read the book. But what's interesting for me from a biblical perspective and from a Christian worldview is this is actually kind of in line with how God tells us to deal with adversity. 
God tells us that real hope is not optimism. Real hope is based on who God is. Real hope is about understanding the promises of God. Check this out. Put it on screen. Romans 5.3 We rejoice in our sufferings. That seems odd. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. This hope that we're led to believe is right around the corner, does not disappoint us. For God has poured out His love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit who is God's gift to us. Let me try and bring all of these ideas together. Here's what we know. We know we're going to have a difficult life. We know we're going to have hardships. We know we're going to have difficult seasons. We're going to have times where, as our boy Peter says, it feels like God is not on the job. We're going to feel like we're waiting on this corner with glory, the hope of it just around the corner, but we must be on the wrong corner because it's not coming our way. This isn't a glorious life that we're living. There's going to be times where we feel like that. So the question becomes, what can we do? I think this Romans passage is about the closest thing to a formula that you're going to find in Scripture. What's the formula? Well, first it says, as Stockdale concluded, you've got to recognize your current reality. Recognize your current reality. You're in the middle of suffering. You've got to understand that you're on the wrong side of the corner of glory. Maybe a dream has faded or a once promising season has ended in disappointment. Maybe you've lost a person that you love or cared about or a possibility that was precious to you. I think our natural tendency is to say, oh, everything happens for a reason. The one I hate the most, it is what it is. No, it is what you make it. That's what it is. I think too many Christians allow their difficulties and sufferings to pass them by and they never learn anything from them. Listen to me, God uses the curriculum of life to help teach you something. It's for your learning. The question is, are you learning from the lesson? There are people out there who have been Christians for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years of experience. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times because they're not getting what God is trying to throw down. They refuse to recognize their reality. A problem is sometimes Christians exaggerate their reality. They feel like giving up and they're unwilling to believe that the future could ever be joyful again. Maybe that's how you came in here today. Hopeless. Needing something. Some sort of encouragement. Like feeling all is lost. So hear me. Hope is just around the corner. We're going to get there. When you're faced with an impossible situation, remember that you serve a God with whom all things are possible. Come on, somebody. The truth of the matter is God has not changed. The Bible teaches us that. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God's not changing, then it must mean you're the one who's changed. Maybe your perspective has changed. And for whatever reason, despite the fact that God has always come through for you, you're not sure He's going to come through this time. Your perspective is 
out of alignment. But in reality, your present as well as your future are not unknown to God. He's in it and He's promised that all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He's promised that you will reap a harvest if, if you do not give up. Listen, just because something has come to an end, just because you've lost something, just because you feel like an era is over, doesn't mean God's ready for you to stop. It's the last thing it means. You ever seen somebody, just as an example, uh, try and ride an escalator for the first time? Like they step on and off, and, and like they'll step on and like stretch it out, right? And try and ride the thing up the top. I remember uh, riding with my son for the very first time. You know, I mean, this just blows the mind of a kid. I mean, it's stairs that move. And so we're trying to ride it up to the top. And I, I, I took it for granted. Okay, so this is on me. I didn't explain to him that as you get to the top, the stairs like uh, revolution under back. And so you got to start walking at, at, at the point you get to the top. And so I'm just holding his hand. We get to the top and, and he stops and I like trip and you're like trying to yank him and pull it. We're like falling down. People look at us like, what in the world is happening? It's like, don't, you know, it's first time guys, we'll get it, you know, get it sorted out. Moral of the story. When something's over, you can't just stop. God has a reason for what He's doing. As long as you're alive, God's not finished with you. Your destiny, your purpose is still unfulfilled. God's still trying to teach you something. So you've got to recognize your reality, where you're at in life. Here's number two. Rejoice in that current reality. Rejoice in your reality. That's what Romans says. And you're thinking, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've experienced. And you're likely right. I don't know what each and every one of you have experienced, and I don't know what you've gone through. But you know who has? Our holy God in heaven. His Son, Jesus Christ. Sure, He's never sinned, but He's lost a son. He's had loved ones betray Him. He's been stolen from. He's been cheated on. Jesus was physically assaulted, crucified naked, humiliated in front of thousands of people to see. He was bad-mouthed. People spoke things about Him that were not true. Religious leaders who you'd think would be on His side spread false rumors about Him. He's seen addiction and abuse and pain and, and anything that you could possibly experience. Jesus has been there. So listen to me carefully. I don't want to downplay anything that you're going through right now. I believe it was wrong, wicked, evil, and horrendous. But nobody in here has been sinned against worse than God the Father or His Son, Jesus Christ. Which that fact alone is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. The Bible tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, Hebrews 4.15. That He knows what you're going through. And not only that, He cares. 
And He listens and He wants to be involved in your life. No other world religion even teaches that. That God is concerned about you. That God listens to you. So instead of asking yourself, why am I going through this? Ask yourself, how can I find God in this? Because He's there. In the very thick of what you're experiencing according to Romans. Now, let me make something perfectly clear. When the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be rejoicing in these sufferings, rejoicing is not singing and clapping and dancing around like nothing is wrong and it's just all the bunnies on rainbows and chocolate. That's not rejoicing. The Bible says we can mourn with those who mourn. The Bible says Jesus wept. You don't have to fake anything. What rejoicing actually means, if you study the idea biblically, is an attitude of well-being. That's what rejoicing is all about. It's an attitude. It's, in other words, it's, it's a choice. Your attitude is very much a choice. No matter what you're going through, you always get to choose your response. To rejoice is a choice. I should have considered a career in rap. Okay, I mean, that's a pretty epic flow, albeit five words. Okay. Listen to me. Here's a big idea. Contending for what you believe in is always more difficult than conceding what you're afraid of. I'm going to say that again because you all just looked at me like, man, that's great, Pastor. Contending for what you believe in is always more difficult than conceding what you're afraid of. Of course, it's easy to give up on these things that you don't know the outcome of. And, and yeah, this life is going to be hard when, you're, when you believe in something and you're conceding for that, but you get to choose how you respond in those situations. Nobody can ever take that from you. And honestly, if you want to get super practical about this, the best way you can learn to rejoice and change your attitude is by serving other hurting people. Going back to this idea of, of Jim Stockdale, this true story, uh, one of the things that helped encourage him in prison was he developed an elaborate communication system based on taps in order to communicate with the other prisoners so that they could reduce this sense of isolation that the uh, captors were trying to create. So he'd tap. Hey, you can do this. I'm here. And they would tap back true story they said uh, that they tapped back we love you for what you're doing for us this is what kept this man going for eight years of his life imagine how you'd feel after year one two three four five six seven with no hope in your future You'd have to find something to create hope in your heart. And he says, I can't give up. These men are depending on me. You want to do something in your life? You want to learn how to rejoice? Then you serve the people around you who are hurting worse than you are. Which leads me to point number three. Respond to reality's obstacles. People are far more likely to achieve their goals if they think hard about both the outcome that they want and the obstacles that they're going 
to face. The problem is most people don't know what the outcome for the future that they want is. Very few people decide, you know what, 10 years from now, this is what I want my life to look like. Fact of the matter is most people are just living for today and have no real sense of a purpose or direction for their future. Just get up, go to work, go home, eat a few times in there, watch some TV, go to bed. Get up, eat breakfast, go to work, have some lunch, have some supper, catch some Netflix, go to bed. Get up, go to bed. Like, right? I mean, this is, this is what our lives, tendencies look like. We just habit, get comfortable, just do the same thing over and over. And the problem with that, the problem with not knowing what you want out of life means when sufferings come, you'll quit. You'll hit that wall. You'll stop. And of all people as Christians, we're supposed to have endurance, which produces character, which produces hope, which does not disappoint us because our hope is in God. And when your hope is in God, you know glory is just around the corner. Bar none, the most asked question I get now that I'm a pastor is, how do I know God's plan for my life? Question number two is, how do I hear from God? Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think most people want to do what God says. They just need to know what He's saying. They're not sure. They're like, God, I'll do whatever you say. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. They don't know how to hear from God, which I love what C.S. Lewis said about this topic. He said in The Problem of Pain, he writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. So two things. Number one, don't waste your pain. I already talked about that. This is when God is shouting to you. This is the curriculum He's using. God's trying to teach you something. But if things are going good, you've got to learn how to hear the whisper of God. God whispers in our pleasures. Why? Because when things are going good, you don't need God. Things are great. Why do we need God? I've, I've got money, I've got a house, my, my wife's good, my kids are good. I mean, things are great, we're eating good. Why, why do I need to hear from God? And the problem with culture right now is we live in this, this vastly busy life, and not just uh, busy in the sense that there's a lot of stuff to do, but there's just a lot of noise, proverbial busyness. And so we've got to learn how to hear this whisper of God. Why is God whispering? Because when you whisper, you've got to get really close to hear what they're saying. And God wants you close to Him so that you'll be in this relationship. And He can speak to you in a whisper because you are in line with what He's wanting for your life. Again, if you want to get super practical here, here's what I would encourage you to do. Every day for an hour, shut off the noise in your life. Pastor, I can't do that. My kids, I don't know how to shut them off. Right? Amen. Somebody, I know. I get it. But 
talking about technology, okay? Shut the technology off for an hour. If it's when you have kids, shut it off that hour before bed. Read a story. Don't be distracted. Hear about their day. Ask them, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? How can we get through this? For an hour. If you don't have kids, do it during that hour of supper. Talk to your spouse or people that you're living with, whatever. Uh, But communicate with them for an hour. Then for a day, a week, do the same thing. You know what the Bible calls that? Sabbath. You know where that was found? The Ten Commandments, right? So like that's the big ten. Like everybody I know is breaking Sabbath. And yet that was one of the things that God says, hey, of the top ten, this is in it. Uh, You need to have a day off. You need to be hearing from me. You need to shut this busyness of life out and just commune with me, God the Father. And yet everybody wants to break that one. And then the other one that I would encourage you to do is take a week a year off. Hour a day. A day a week. A week a year. If you want to hear from God, if you want to experience this closeness of God, which everybody always asks me about, if you want to do that, you've got to do something that others aren't doing to experience it, what others aren't experiencing, right? I mean, this sounds countercultural. Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, I can't do this. There's just no way I could do this. Listen, you can't afford not to do this. God wants to be in a relationship with you. It's not about what you can afford in this life. It's about the life to come. Now, bottom line, recognize your current reality. Rejoice in that reality because God's trying to teach you something and then respond to the obstacles that you're going to face. For each one of you, that's going to look different, but that's the closest thing to a formula we could find in Scripture. And so I'll just draw this whole thing to a close like this. I know many of you are sports fans, and and one of the things I love most about sports is no matter what the current situation is, there is always hope for the true sports fan. It's like, well, if we do X, Y, and Z, and, and that person gets hurt, and then we can take advantage of that. I mean, there's just always hope for you if you're a true sports fan. A win is always just around the corner for the sports fan. And uh, the best example I could think of was the 2008 national championship game in basketball between Kansas and Memphis. I'll bring you up to speed on the story if you're not a uh, basketball fan. Memphis has this character named Derek Rose, who was a legitimate player of the year candidate. I mean, he went on to have a great uh, NBA career, barring some injuries. And in this particular game, he's like banking shots in at the end of a shot clock. He's driving around all the KU players, dishing off to his teammates, getting assists, and they're scoring, and everything is looking great, and things are not looking good for the Jayhawks. With two minutes left, KU is down 60 to 51. For all intents and purposes, the game is over. There is no way you should come back from a nine-point deficit with under two minutes to play. 
You just make free throws, it's Johnny ball game. For Memphis fans, they're like, yes, national championship in real life. I've got all my non-KU fans texting me, better luck next year, it's game over, good try, blah, 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 all that. Nonetheless, there's hope in my spirit. Darrell Arthur hits a long jump shot. KU calls time out. There's angst in my house. There's stress going on. We're like, man, we need this championship. The cameraman cuts to the Memphis cheerleaders. They're all jazzed up. Who's going to win this game tonight? We're going to win this game tonight. Laura's like, break an ankle, cheerleader. I'm like, easy. Rap. That's a true story. I mean, she's, we've had her medicated it's fine now, but she's violent. I'm just telling you. Coming out of the timeout, Sharon Collins gets a steal, dishes off to Trump, back out to Collins, baseline three, money. I won't bore you with the rest of the details from that minute 45 on down, but 10.8 seconds are left on the clock. KU is down Two, our boy Derek Rose is at the free throw line. He's made his last 13 free throws in a row. He hits both of these. It's game over. KU has no timeouts left. Up goes the first one. Miss. Makes the second one. Can't set up a play. Good. Sharon Collins drives down the court. He gets to the top of the key. He kind of fumbles and probably travels, dishes it off to Mario Chalmers. One dribble, three-pointer, please! Yes! He made it! Overtime. Place goes crazy. Everybody goes nuts. And if you know the story, you know that the rest of the game, KU dominates in overtime we have another national championship back home in Allen Fieldhouse where Jesus would have played basketball. <laughs> if giving the opportunity. Whew. Here's what's interesting about the whole story. I went back and watched some of the game film as I was preparing the message. And unlike watching it in real time, I wasn't stressed, I wasn't anxious. I wasn't mad at the cheerleaders and I wasn't screaming at the referees. In fact, it was quite the opposite. I was like, oh yeah, cheer it up, ladies. Yes. Oh, make that free throw. We don't care about that free throw. Make that jump shot. Doesn't matter. Oh, call that foul. Do whatever you got to do. Show that fan, cameraman. Please show him. Why was I so calm? Because I knew the ending. I knew what was going to happen. And here's what you have to say me, hear me say this morning. When it comes to life, we know the ending. We know the hope if you're a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ. We know the hope that we have. We know what's just around the corner for us, which is a paradise and glory in heaven. Not only do we know the hope that is around the corner, we have a hope that is with us. 
It's not just around the corner for us. It is with us. Listen to this, Hebrews 6.18. There are these two things then that cannot change about which God cannot lie. So we who have found safety with Him are greatly encouraged to hold firmly to the hope placed before us. We have this hope as anchors for our lives. It is safe and it is sure and goes through the curtain of the heavenly temple into the inner sanctuary. On our behalf, Jesus has gone in there before us and has become a high priest forever. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, hope is not just around the corner for you. It is living in you. It's an anchor for your soul. And you can trust that God's way works. This is about changing your perspective. You've done it your way. It's not working. Why not try God's way for a while? Have this hope that your future is secure. That you know the end of the story. And it's going to end well for you. Amen, somebody. Let's pray. God, thank You again just for the opportunity to come in to this place to gather and hear from Your Word. God, I just ask that You do what only You can do right now and speak to people's hearts. Speak to their lives. Speak to their souls. Whatever they've gone through, whatever they've done, whatever been done to them, that You help them rest assured that they have a hope. They can have a hope by placing their trust in Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I don't know how every person has come in this morning, but I believe You can speak to them. They can learn how to hear Your voice. So we just quiet ourselves right now to hear from You. Speak to us in a way that only You can. Help people recognize their realities in life. Help them learn how to rejoice whatever they're going through. Learn how to respond with the end in mind. God, you've been faithful since the beginning. God, I just believe that there are people in this room right now who haven't experienced this hope that we profess. That they haven't entrusted their entire life to you. God, I want to just ask that you speak to them right now. And if that's you this morning, you feel like, God, I, I don't have this hope. And I want it. I want to know my eternity is secure. And I'd invite you just to pray this prayer with me because the Bible says if you confess and believe in Jesus, you can be saved. So just take an opportunity right now to confess. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've done it my way. I'm sorry I've trusted in myself and not in you. But I believe in Jesus that He died for me. And because He rose from the dead, I can be made new. 
help me live for you. God, I just ask that you help each person in here to anchor their lives in you. Give them this hope for their souls that they can take from this place and share it with the world around them. We declare it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.